Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Dale. Got a new assignment for you. Vacation. Uh, thanks, boss. Y- you mean it? You betcha. Self-care is good for business. Sometimes things just get better, like AT&T. We've invested more than $150 million to grow our wireless network coverage to over 99% of Nebraska. Visit att.com slash Nebraska and learn how to get a free smartphone when you switch to AT&T. Coverage not available everywhere. Over 99% coverage based on third-party data. Network investments based on 2018 through 2020 expenditure. Abner Meyers is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mayers, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is today. On the Hook will cover topics like the state of boxing today, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to being a boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life, and so much more. Listen to On The Hook with Abner Mayers wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. And thank you to our partners, Indeed and Bet Online, for sponsoring Bulls HQ. On the show this week, I'm pleased to say we have a first-time guest appearing on the show, making his Bulls HQ debut, is a guy who has been a welcome addition to the Bulls beat over the last 12 or so months, putting together some great work over at NBC Sports Chicago, something I'm sure that will continue into the offseason as we head toward the draft and free agency. And all of that is the very reason why I have Rob Schaefer joining me now on Bulls HQ, because over the last week or so, he's been putting out some interesting stories that pertain to our Chicago Bulls, and I thought it would be fun to dive more deeply into them as we look ahead into the offseason. So, uh, Rob, welcome on, mate. Thanks for joining us. How's things? Uh, I'm good, Mark. It's uh, it's good to be here. You're someone I've followed followed for a while. Um, respect your takes, respect the snark, and and all that type of stuff. So it's uh, it's good to chat. <laughs> well, I'm hoping there's not going to be too much snark going forward. I'm hoping uh, there's only going to be positive comments from me about the Bulls going forward. But I uh, appreciate it nonetheless. But I will admit, Rob, I'm disappointed in my own self that. You made an appearance on uh, the Chicago Bullseye podcast before you did Bulls HQ. I'm, I'm disappointed in myself that I allowed that to happen. So uh, forgive me for that. Yeah, I was wondering how long it would take Fred to come up uh, in the flow of this conversation. I, I had planned <laughs> to ask you. I had planned to ask you how he was doing before we wrapped up because you kind of are Bulls Twitter's um, main vein to him. I'm ashamed to admit, and if Fred's listening to this, he might get a chuckle out of this. I have gone and checked on his Instagram uh, a couple times, maybe <laughs> once or twice throughout the month, just to see if there what what's being. Uh, discussed over there, and I've been a little disappointed. The the takes are not as scalding over there, but um, but how, how's he doing? <laughs> oh, look, I I don't I don't have Instagram, and I certainly wasn't going to create an account just to go follow Fred. That's for sure. But I, I have no idea what he's doing over there. I've been texting him back and forth every now and then, uh, more so when the finals were on, I suppose. But uh, I haven't heard from him from the last week or so. But I'm assuming he's doing fine, and he will be back on Twitter within the next week. Though he has been fired from this show because. Yeah, he he just didn't fulfill a, a few bets that we had uh, for this specific season, and uh, I had to fire him for this podcast, unfortunately. And and that's that's his due punishment for being just someone who can't is not, just not a trustworthy man. But apart from that, I'm sure he's doing well, uh, taking his month off from Twitter. But um, I'm sure he'll be back on the podcast soon enough. Uh, but enough of Fred. Like you said, I, I didn't expect to get into him or mention him at all. But they, he's always on my mind in some way. But I wanted to talk with you. About some um, some topics that you've been covering, I suppose, or been writing 
up on NBC Sports Chicago over the last week. And look, there's not much going on at the moment with the NBA, the balls, those sorts of things. But I think what you have sort of covered off in the last week in terms of your articles are pertinent to some of the conversations I wanted to have today. And I thought they were pretty interesting to discuss, particularly the first one that I wanted to get into was this long piece that you did about uh, uh, let's let's call it ambitious um, trades that you sort of sourced from Bulls fans that uh, were mock trades, fictitious trades that Bulls fans sort of sent through to you, and then ultimately you would grade and put through a grading of those specific trades. So, uh, like I mentioned, it was a long read, but it was a very good and fun read for, for particularly for this time of year, where we're obviously approaching the off season now. So, I, I just I guess my first question in terms of you creating that piece coming up with that idea is why the hell you would even do it given that i'm sure you got um, just absolutely inundated by fans with i know you put 16 in the article but i'm sure you received probably 50 odd trade proposals and some were probably uh a little bit a little bit more crazy than others but um yeah i guess my first question is why, why would you open yourself up to that well yeah I, I i just think it's fun uh it's fun to see where fans heads are at um, and, uh, like you said, I mean, with the run up to the draft and with the long off season and, um, l- how a lot of people have been talking about, you know, executives might get jumpy this time of year making moves. Uh, there was a report today and I, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, so I can't source it, unfortunately. Um, so apologies for that, but there was a report out today, um, that an executive believes there's going to be maybe more player movement this off season, as opposed to like big money going out. If there had to be one or the other, there's going to be more player movement just because, um, of all the COVID-19 implications, uh, teams are going to be a little bit more hamstrung and there's just a lot of different, you know, player situations out there that are interesting for, um, for trading. So I, it was just a, an avenue to see where Bulls fans heads were at, um, you know, see if, see if I could sense any patterns in the way that fans are are thinking about this team. And, um, you know, in terms of takeaways, you know, it's not necessarily anything, uh, constructive or substantive, uh, but it was fun. It, it did uh, evidence something that I suspected was true, which was that, you know, we haven't watched this team play in seven months. Um, so I think people's, you know, it gets a little fuzzy when you remember all the things that this team, um, you know, couldn't do when they did take the floor, uh, you know, the value that some players do have. Um, and it's a little amusing. There were some that I that I was a little piqued by. Uh, like there was one three-team trade, I think, with the um, um, with the Sixers and Kings um, that I thought was a really creative, good idea that I think netted the 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 Bulls Ben Simmons, which I've you know Ben Simmons straight ideas I've generally rolled my eyes at because if I'm uh, I'm high on him and I just think if I'm Philly, uh, you need the Godfather package um, to to even think about parting with him. Uh, but I, there was one in there um, where the Bulls netted him that I actually thought was as close to as uh, reasonable um, as it gets for him. Um, but yeah, it was just an interesting, fun thing, like you said, to uh, to parse through. Um, and just see where everybody was at. Uh, one, one interesting thing that I thought, um, was in a lot of these trades, um, Lowry marketing was a pretty, a pretty consistent thread throughout them. He's one that it seems like a lot of the fan base, um, is viewing as a little bit more expendable now, um, than a year ago, uh, which I thought was interesting, but that was about as substantive as a takeaway I could take away. It was more just, you know, uh, for shits and gigs more than anything. Yeah, no, no, for, for sure. And I, I think the overwhelming thing that I sort of got from reading from reading the article is that uh, obviously, like, like I said, Bulls fans are certainly ambitious and you noted that in your article. That's I mean, the, word, yeah. the, the names that were sort of linked in those sort of trade proposals, I mean, there was a couple for Ben Simmons, there was uh, there a James Harden one, I believe, as well. So <laughs> Bulls fans were, um, were, were aiming pretty high, let's say. But yeah, it is weird that um, I guess it depends on what circles you sort of run around and who you talk to because some are very some are still very high on Larry Mark and maybe more so than I am I'm probably on the lower end at this point but yeah there are obviously clearly some fans that um are prepared to trade him at this point which makes some sense too but was there any that um I mean you mentioned the one that maybe netted the bulls with um with the kings and obviously that three team three team deal but was there anything else that sort of was thrown in there that you may think is has some semblance of uh being somewhat realistic heading into this offseason for the Bulls, do you think? Um, I, I think it's tough. Um, there was one, I know Chris Paul trades are popular. Um, that's yeah. one that I would think on the spectrum of as about as unrealistic as it gets, only because um, you know the new front office has talked up cap space in 2021. And I, I think any team that's going to get in the Chris Paul sweepstakes has to feel like they're not um, planning for 2021 free agency at all, because I think he has a player option for $44 million uh, next offseason. 
Um, so I, I, as much as he would improve the team in the short term and, and the Billy Donovan connection, and there's there's a lot of things there that work, um, I, I would grade that as um, one of the more unrealistic ones that I saw consistently. Uh, pro- perhaps the most realistic one out of the uh, entire piece was one that I, I hadn't thought of as a trade target was uh, the Rudy Gobert trade. I think it was um, Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., uh, and number four for Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is actually in a pretty interesting situation because um, with Utah, I think he's in the last year of his contract. He'll be super max eligible at the end of it, and they'll have kind of a difficult decision to make, obviously, with all the uh, interpersonal concerns with him and Donovan Mitchell. And is he someone that, you know, is going to get played off the floor at some point if you want to um, contend for an NBA championship, if you play four rounds uh, in this era of basketball? Like, are you going to run into a matchup that he's untenable in, and can you afford to invest so much resources in a guy like that as great as he is? at what he does do. Um, so I thought that was an interesting kind of thought experiment from both sides. Now me personally, uh, I'm higher on Wendell than maybe anybody on the bulls right now. He would be about as untouchable yeah. to me uh, as anybody on the team, especially with Billy Donovan coming in. So it wasn't necessarily uh, my taste, the trade, but I did think there was a hint of realism to it where um, you could see where the bulls might think a, a piece like that could take them to another level, uh, especially defensively where, um, you know, without the kind of gimmicky uh, schemes that, that Jim Boylan was running last year and and possibly without Chris Dunn next year, they might, you know, uh, set up to take a step back there. Um, you, you could see the logic, uh, but uh, for me, it was, you know, for me personally, it wasn't necessarily my favorite of the bunch, but I did think it was probably the most realistic uh, when you really think about it from both sides. Uh, I, I'm generally just a believer that um, in terms of the trade market, I, I just don't expect it to be a busy offseason from the Bulls. I think they're going to want to see, uh, you know, the the core young pieces uh, of this team under a new coach in maybe a more conducive to success player development and just basketball environment. Uh, I think if I was running the team, I would probably want to see that same thing, even if there are guys that I'm higher or lower on, uh, just having been around them and watching them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting them to be necessarily active in the trade market. I guess anything could happen. Uh, but that was the one that I, I think is probably the closest thing to realistic out of the bunch. Yeah, I noted the Rudy Gobert one down, me personally, because I I, I noted it down because I, I would I just wouldn't be about it at all because for the reason you sort of suggested, Wendell to me as well is probably uh probably the most important player on this roster, maybe outside of Zach Levine. Um and there's differences obviously between uh, best, uh, important, yeah. most potential, those sorts of things. But to, to, to me, for this specific Bulls roster, how it's constructed at the moment, Wendell is just so important. So I, uh, when reading that one, I was like, oh, I, I, I understood where it was coming from, but I just, I, just couldn't, I just couldn't get behind that one either. But I mean, th- thinking about the Bulls and, and maybe moving away from these sort of fictitious trades and just more thinking about it more uh, holistically, I mean, should they be thinking about the 2021 offseason and playing that from a cap, uh, cap space point of view and maybe sort of negating or, or moving away from maybe making some trades for guys that have contracts beyond 2021, someone like Chris Paul? Or should they be thinking about maximizing the talent on this roster right now, which may be maximized or at least helped get there by someone like Chris Paul, who obviously maybe takes away or negates that 2021 plan, but may help you in terms of maximizing the roster next season, but maybe also maximizes Larry Markman as a trade piece, Zach Levine as a trade piece, those sorts of things. Where where do you generally fall on that sort of topic or that issue? That's a good point on, on Chris Paul or, or a player like him, um, not only helping in the win column immediately, but also lifting the potential value, whether it be internally or trade-wise, of a guy like Lowry, um, who needs, you know, I think at this point we know, even if last year, he's even if he's not going to be the player that he was last year for the rest of his career, it at least did reveal that he kind of is not necessarily going to be the creator that maybe it looked like he had the potential to be. He needs kind of the table set for him um, for the majority of his offense uh, and things like that. So that, that's an interesting point. I think as with anything, and especially, um, you know, the types of decision makers that it seems like uh, AK and Mark Eversley are, I think everything just pretty much depends uh, on a value proposition. For me, I like the idea of this team having flexibility next summer. Now it's not the be all end all. Cause I don't think they're a marquee free agent destination at this point. I think there's a long way to go for that. So I, I'm not necessarily thinking pie in the sky of the, um, the top, top tier of guys. Um, but there is a level where, you know, if you could start to turn this thing around and get some momentum and you do have the flexibility that you can maybe make a play, um, at that next level down, uh, or maybe even, you know, uh, uh a small step down, um, from that tier two, 
Um, so I don't know. I, I think it would depend. I think you would have to kind of weigh all the factors um, in front of you. To me, I love Chris Paul. Uh, he's an all NBA guy at age 35 this year. I mean, that's just an amazing thing to say, given where his value was at this point last year. For me, I just am not sure that he's the one to take that chance on. Um, and I'm not sure that there is that guy out there that the marriage of the Bulls being able to offer the right package and the team on the other end um, accepting that package. I, I've been listening to a lot of a lot of national outlets have been coming out with these kind of trade pontificating podcasts over the last few days, and I've been listening to them. And just some of the packages being proposed um, and some of the players floating out there, I just don't know if I really see it for the Bulls necessarily. Um, that's not to say that this team untouched is going to, you know, flip things on its face and, uh, and, you know, I think they can compete for the eight seed next year, but I'm not even necessarily willing to say that this team as currently constructed, um, is for sure a favorite in that race by any means. Um, but I'm just not sure who it is out there right now. I mean, Bradley Beal, I I don't think the wizards are, are going to trade him unless he, um, kind of tries to force his way out of there. Um, you look at a guy like Victor Oladipo, I mean, his value isn't necessarily, um, as high uh, as it was at this time, you know, a year and a half or two years ago. And you can go on the list with that. Um, so my first instinct is I don't, I just don't see the fit with a lot of these high profile guys. And it's tough from the bulls perspective because I don't know who on the bulls is a plus asset right now outside of Zach Levine. So I just don't know if you do trade a guy like Lowry or you do trade a guy, um, you know, down the roster uh, for whatever you're getting back. I just am not sure that that's, the best value that you're going to get for that player at this point. I think you want to give him a chance to, to recoup that. So, um, you know, I, I think at every turn, you just have to look at it in a vacuum and it kind of depends on the situation, but I generally am air probably more on the side of being conservative and maintaining that flexibility when maybe you're working from a position of more leverage, because as, as much as we could be optimistic about the front office changes and, you know, the promise of better player development, we could be optimistic about better player development, the Bulls still, from a personnel standpoint, really don't have any leverage in talks with anybody uh, in terms of trades. So uh, I probably err a little bit more on the conservative side, but I-, I could see arguments either way based on kind of individual circumstance. Yeah, I think that's all fair. And look, um, you know, listeners of this show are probably already aware, but just for your for your purpose, I mean, I'm just a massive Chris Paul fan. So I admittedly am hugely biased in this. Um, to me, the more I think about it, now, look, my initial maybe a few months ago, six months ago, whatever it might be, I would have had a, would have shared a very similar point to, to, to the ones that you're making. But now the more I think about it, the more I'm leaning on the Bulls should probably trade for Chris Paul or someone similarly like Paul because I'm just have my concerns if this roster goes into this season or into the upcoming season, whatever that may be, largely untouched. I mean, if we, the, the roster is pretty pretty stacked at this point. The, the, the roster charges in terms of who's on the roster will largely remain the same. There's not going to be holistic changes from that point of view. They may add one or two pieces from free agency, small pieces. Obviously, the draft, they'll, they'll do one or two uh, two things there. But by and large, the, the, the team itself will largely be what it is currently. And I have my concerns that you know if you go into year four of the rebuild with effectively the same core pieces and not much necessarily structurally changing around them apart from Billy Donovan then I still have my larger concerns about this roster this this team itself but if you just integrate a piece like Chris Paul who can make someone like Zach Levine's life a lot a lot easier you can get Zach maybe off ball a little bit more I mean you're starting a rebuild around Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr two guys that are highly assisted players I mean having someone like Chris Paul, maybe the smartest player in the NBA to set up those guys would make their life a lot easier. And like I said, maybe rehab the value of someone like Larry Markin where his trade value right now is quite low, but maybe in six to eight months time, month after playing with Chris Paul for a while, maybe that perception changes as well. So I don't know. The more I think about it, I think the Bulls should maybe trade for Chris Paul. I don't even know if the 2021 off season is going to be that good, to be honest with you. And it could change very quickly if Giannis signs some sort of extension, Anthony Davis, depending on what extension he signs. A lot of these younger sort of players that are in the 2021 draft, you would assume guys like Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, they're going to get max extensions from their team. So I'm not even sure the 2021 free agency period is going to be to, to even be that good, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I guess, you know, cap flexibility isn't necessarily always about outright signings. It just kind of, it it increases your flexibility um, for different trades and things like that down the line if they really do decide to dismantle this thing. But the, you know, at some point, but the interesting thing about Chris Paul 
that I was just thinking of as you were talking and you make a compelling point. I mean, I, me personally, as someone who, um, you know, is talking to, you know, or, you know, assuming we can get back to the United center and, and actually cover the team in, in a way that resembles the way we once did. Um, yeah. you know, as someone like that, I would love to cover Chris Paul and selfishly, um, you know, it would be a better product and you, you were making some compelling points. And, and the interesting thing about a Chris Paul trade hypothetically is, you probably don't have to give Oklahoma City much in the way of positive assets for him because I think they're probably mm-hmm. happy to just get off the money at this point. Yeah. I mean, think about it a year ago at this time. They probably would have been hard-pressed to um, part with him without attaching draft picks themselves. Now I think for them, a plus trade for them is just getting off of him and taking back either short-term salary uh, or maybe a marginal piece. So, I mean, it gets tough to match salary, but if – you know, Otto Porter Jr. I think is, um, you know, he's obviously a massive expiring um, that pretty much most of the way facilitates that deal. And then you don't have to do too much on top of that. Um, so it certainly is compelling. I, I would certainly consider it. I'm just not sure that that's where the regime's head is at. I could be wrong. Um, and I think there are going to be teams that maybe will be looking like I, I don't think it's unreasonable that there will be actually a legitimate market of teams looking to give up real capital for Chris Paul. I mean, you look at the Knicks, they don't necessarily have uh, many desirable pieces on the roster necessarily, but if they were to even throw in a guy like Frank Nilakina in a Chris Paul deal, um, to me, that's already a step further in terms of positive future assets than I might be willing to go from the Bulls perspective. But um, I do like your point. I think we do lose sight of a little bit sometimes of actually the on the court stuff um, when the off season haze kind of sets in. Um, and it really is, you know, there's a lot of talk of potential and a lot of talk of promise. And we'll get into this if we talk about, you know, free agent targets and and whether they should go, uh, whether the Bulls should target kind of veteran plug and play guys or maybe younger guys with potential. Um, you could go for a guy like Derek Jones Jr., who would be a little bit of a project, but has all this promise. But if you bring them into a basketball situation that isn't conducive to that growth, um, the flyer, it's kind of pointless to even take. And a guy like Chris Paul is a piece that makes those flyers more likely to work out in your favor. Um, and to your point is going to accelerate uh, the growth of guys on the team. So, so I definitely see the argument, I guess it would just depend on the package. Um, but uh, I certainly would sign up for it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset at it if it was to happen. Yeah. Look, who knows what will happen. Look, the bulls are situated nicely from a contractual standpoint to make it happen. It'll probably come down to that additional piece you know what sort of uh, sort of asset would they want to include in that? Whether it's a, a draft pick or you know another team's in, maybe including two draft pick or maybe a second round pick and some young prospect like Nilakina, like you mentioned before. So it, it, that'll probably be the determinant as to where Chris Paul goes. But like I said, I'm a bit of a biased Chris Paul fan, so I would like to see it happen for for a number of reasons. But I think from an on court perspective, I think it just makes sense um, more so because Donovan's coming in, obviously. But I think most definitely because of the Bulls situation obviously heading into year four of the rebuild it's kind of a tenuous situation I mean we're assuming AK Eversley Donovan they're going to continue to build on this thing I'm assuming that's why Donovan's come here that they're not necessarily going to tear it back down again but if there's another bad season after four years you know rebuilding and you're heading into another season where you don't make the playoffs and then you all of a sudden you're heading into year five without a playoff appearance after a rebuild. At that point, do you tear it down again? I don't know. But it's just uh, it's an interesting point in the, Bulls, in the Bulls rebuild and this thing could go one of two ways. So it's going to be interesting to, to see how it all plays out. I definitely want to talk about free agency. I want to talk about Derek Jones Jr. specifically because you wrote about him too. But before we do that, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsors. First up, let me tell you about Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring even more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make sure that your search is made that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. 
Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31. Let me also tell you about Bet Online. Folks, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on the every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take full advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Alright, back to the podcast now and back with Rob Schaefer here from NBC Sports Chicago talking about the, the upcoming Bulls offseason. We talked about... Uh, some possible trade ideas for the Bulls heading into the offseason, but I also want to talk about free agency before concluding and talking about the NBA draft. But Rob, I wanted to talk about Derek Jones Jr. specifically because I know in the last few days there have been reports coming out of Miami about the Bulls being one of three or four teams that may be interested in Derek Jones Jr. Again, that's something you, you covered off on NBC Sports Chicago. You wrote about the pros and cons of you know, so adding someone like Derek Jones Jr. to the Bulls. So maybe just give us that, that, that high-level overview of the report itself and just your general thoughts and feelings about maybe adding a player like Derek Jones Jr. to the Bulls. Sure, yeah. So I, you know, the in terms of um, the highest level of it, it's, yeah, the report, um, I think it was from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, I want to say, uh, without looking at it in front of me. But uh, um, he reported that uh, the Bulls, in addition to, I think it was the Pistons and the Atlanta Hawks, who are two teams that... Um, could have cap space this offseason, which I think factors into uh, the financial consideration if it ever came to that. Um, are going to be interested in Derek Jones Jr. Um, you know, for people that haven't heard of him, I'm, I'm sure you've seen him. He won the 2020 dunk contest, which was in Chicago, uh, which is probably which is probably his most um, you know his brightest moment, um, his most you know moment where he was on the most television screens. Uh, but I I like him as a player. He's a promising young player. Um, it feels like he's been around for a while for people that are really. Um, ingrained in the NBA world, at least to me, I was kind of surprised when I uh, started digging on him that um, he's only 23. Um, He's a guy that I think he's 6'6", 6'7", with a seven foot wingspan. Um, You know, the dunk contest thing, if that tells you uh, anything about him, he's a superb athlete, um, really high flyer, um, great finisher around the basket. I mean, we know that that was uh, an area that the Bulls really, really struggled with um, last season, um, kind of in that attempt to modernize their offense. Um, You know, they got to the rim. Uh, a fair amount and, and we're taking a lot of looks or taking a lot of field goals at the rim, um, but finished, uh, you know, finished those looks at a, at a rate that was among the worst in the league, uh, despite leading the league in um, <clears throat> share of their field goals uh, at the rim. So he'd help in that area. Um, there's a pro. Uh, I think another pro is, you know, uh, I mentioned that that length that he has. He's a, he's a great kind of um, stocks guy, blocks and steals, um, really active defender. I, I think in terms of on ball, he could switch one to four. Um, that's something that this Bulls roster is really lacking in, in terms of just multi-positional, versatile, um, kind of people that can toggle through, um, you know, multiple positions, especially on the defensive end. So I think he'd be useful to this roster, um, uh, in that aspect. Um, I even said, I put in a line in there about how he does kind of feel like a guy that you would see pop off as like the eight or ninth man for the Nuggets. And he didn't press you kind of in a random nationally televised uh, regular season game or one of these bubble games. So to me, he kind of feels like uh, an Arturis Karnaschovas player, um, just kind of having all those, you know, physical tools, um, this raw talent, this multi-positional versatility. Um, so I like that about him. Um, I think he has just a lot of promise in those areas. Now, the downsides uh, are pretty glaring and also coincide with areas that the Bulls kind of can't afford to get worse in, uh, one being three-point shooting. He's a 28% three-point shooter. Um, that was exactly what he shot from three-point range this year. Uh, no real signs of that improving. Um, he's not really much of a creator uh, outside of, um, you know, obviously looks at the rim. Um, shooting isn't great. And, you know, there's also an aspect to this where, and it kind of uh, dovetails uh, our Chris Paul conversation where um, there's just a philosophical kind of conundrum, I think, that the new front office regime will find itself in, you know, especially when um, trying to decide how to use this marginal free agent exception that they have, uh, this mid-level exception, which is, you know, 
do you want to invest in a 23-year-old guy um, who has all this promise, has all this potential, and I personally love as a player and think he'd be a great fit on the Bulls, but do you want to bring in um, a guy like that on a flyer when this roster isn't necessarily going to be the place where there is that um, you know, surefire playmaker, that guy to kind of thread everything together um, and kind of you know, spur along? Uh, the development of a guy like that or put that guy in the right position to succeed? Or is he just going to end up kind of flying around, um, you know, making highlight plays every now and then, but not really moving forward as a player? Um, I think Billy Donovan is the first step into that, you know, development process being uh, a little bit more connected, but there obviously are personnel things that need to change um, there first. So those are all the kind of considerations that I was weighing with a guy like Derek Jones Jr. versus, you know, some other more veteran guys, your Jay Crowders, your... Contavious Caldwell Popes or DJ Augustines or, you know, my colleague Casey Johnson did another piece for NBC Sports Chicago where he uh, laid out some other realistic free agent targets and um, he kind of went more the veteran instant contributor, um, kind of consistent, know what you're getting from every night, guys. Um, But I do think there is value in a guy like Derek Jones Jr. who has that upside um, and has those tools. I I just think the versatility and the kind of malleability of his game is something that's that's missing from the Bulls. I think they can get a little bit rigid, um, especially at the forward spots where we know um, they pretty much just had no wings this year when Otto Porter Jr. and Chandler Hutchison went down. Um, so I think he can be pretty useful uh, in that department, at least. Yeah, look, I, I initially thought the same thing for all for all the for all the points you just noted there. I think there is a fit for Derek Jones Jr. But I, I in thinking about it more, I was just wondering. I mean, his best position at this point is probably at power forward. And given that the Bulls have Lowry starting and then Thad coming off the bench, we're assuming, well, at the moment he is coming off the bench. Who knows if he'll be a ball heading into next season. But assuming both were to stay, you have Wendell at center. You have obviously Daniel Gafford. Uh, you have Robert Horry slash Luke Kennard on, uh, <laughs> at center too. So, I mean, the the positions that Derek Jones Jr. was sort of playing in Miami, which was tradi- well, not traditionally, but mostly power forward and, and even some center at times, the Bulls seem pretty stacked at this point. At this point, so I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, maybe you know, someone like Derek Jones Jr. doesn't make a lot of sense for the Bulls, and maybe they need someone who's more specifically a shooting wing type, where that that would be more relevant to this Bulls team, as you sort of alluded to, that the fact that they just had no wings once Chandler Hutchinson and Otto Porter went down. And at this point, there's no reason to believe that those guys will be healthy and playing a full season based on what we've seen over the last couple of seasons, couple seasons at least. So I don't know. Do, do I could understand it, maybe signing Derek Jones Jr. if that, was preceded with a deal of trading Thad out, maybe, and maybe you know trading Thad, you know, Chris Paul deal, maybe that makes sense, and then you can go and get Derek Jones Jr. But do you think, based on how the roster is currently constituted, that Derek Jones Jr. actually fits on the roster and would actually get meaningful playing time on this current ball situation? Yeah, the uh, the the including Thad and the Chris Paul deal and doing those things contingently, that's that's spicy. That's um that's cooking with some grease there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it would have to be, you know, when I when I was thinking about it, my thought, and it, I don't necessarily think it's a surefire thing or even a better than 50% chance thing that Thad Young will get traded this offseason, but it certainly, um, you know, at least makes sense that he might, to me, watching the way that his season kind of unfolded last year, I, I thought it was a bit of an unfortunate season for him because, you know, within a month, month and a half, um, he kind of was displeased with his role, obviously, um, leaked that to the press. Um, and that kind of underlaid the rest of his season where, you know, if you, if you track that season, the, the times that he was producing the most were the times when um, he was afforded more minutes. And oftentimes those came at the expense of Lowry um, because I, I know that Jim didn't think that they could play together. Um, and really, um, you know, the evidence was there that that just isn't necessarily a, a front court pairing that's going to hold up um, on either end of the floor, um, at least the way that uh, those two played last year. Um, and Thad's best stretch of the season actually came when he was starting in place of Lowry, when he went out with that, um, with that pelvic injury. Um, so it, it certainly makes sense to me that if they were really seriously eyeing a guy like Derek Jones Jr., cause I think you're right. His, his best position, um, in the league is probably the four. I, I think it would make sense that that would come contingent, um, with moving on from Thad Young, you know, in reference to, uh, some of the free agency stuff we were hinting at earlier, um, you get a partial guarantee of his for $6 million, which isn't, you know, earth shattering, but you do get that off the books and maybe they value that, uh, inch of flexibility more than, uh, more than what that could bring to the team at this point. 
Um, so I think it, it is tough. It would create a little bit of a front court logjam. There's also a part of me that when I think about um, just this team's rotation in general, and maybe this all changes with the hiring of a new athletic trainer and just general front office and coaching staff overhaul. But the way that this team has operated the last few years, I just I almost um, assume that half the rotation is going to go down uh, due to injury, <laughs> like within a month of the yeah. season. So I just. Yeah, I, I just can't get out of my head those nights, you know, in February of 2020, like uh, just before yeah. and after the All-Star break when Archie Diakono was starting games at small forward. <laughs> and I love Arch and Arch is great, but, he, you know, I, he would even tell you that he, you know, shouldn't be starting NBA games at small forward necessarily. Um, so I I just think he's versatile enough, Derek Jones Jr., that I wouldn't let the logjam necessarily uh, deter me on its own. Now, if there was, obviously, you can uh, afford to go for need a little bit more um, in free agency than in the draft. Obviously, you just want to take the biggest swing possible for the best talent available um, in the draft. I think that's something that pretty much anybody uh, would agree on. Um, so if there was a wing out there that was maybe a little bit better of a shooter, I, I think KCP would be the dream. Um, although I could totally see him kind of reverting back to his old self if he was to end up in, in Chicago and not the the Catavius Caldwell Pope that we saw in the playoffs. Um, that fit might be a little bit more snug, um, but uh, you know I, I wouldn't let that logjam on its own stop me if if I'm Arturis Karnashovas and I really think um, that there's something special, something promising uh, in a guy like Derek Jones Jr. Because because I even think about it, you know I, I mentioned that he's a good steals and blocks guy. I mean he's just really a, a, a super athlete um, and protects the rim really really well for kind of a, a tweener three four. Um, and I just, I just think of the line of configurations that that, that could open up. I, I think that's, um, a guy that you could play at the four next to Lowry at center. And I think that's an offensive lineup that has a lot of potential and you don't lose as much defensively as if you're running him necessarily with a guy like that, or even a, a Chandler Hutchison, who I think is a great defender, but isn't necessarily the rim protector, um, that a guy like Jones is. I, I just think there are a lot of little, you know, nerdy things that I kind of would just be curious to watch, um, if he were to come aboard. Um, I, I could see either side of it, but, um, um, to answer the Thad point, I, I just am not sure that I'm letting Thad Young as much as he is respected in the locker room and, and had his moments of productivity last season. I just wouldn't necessarily let him shape, uh, my strategy because I think, um, you know, if all goes well, he's not necessarily, uh, a part of the long-term future anyway. So I, I see both ends of it. It's just, it's, a uh, it's at the top and in the middle, um, of the free agent market this year. It's just not a very loaded class. It's just going to be hard to mine for guys um, that are going to be able to help you now and in the future. Um, and I think Derek Jones Jr., he would be up there for me in terms of guys that could do that. I mean, my number one options, like I said, a guy like KCP or a guy like Jay Crowder, I think kind of intersects and get, gives you the best of both worlds there. Um, but I, yeah, I wouldn't let the logjam stop me, especially because this team has been so injured. I mean, just, just who knows what could happen? Who knows who's actually going to be on the floor for this team on a daily basis until we, until we see otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, that is all true. And I, and I certainly agree that you shouldn't let someone like that dictate your overall strategy as to what you want to do for the upcoming season, but maybe even beyond. But I think that's a key point in a sense. And you sort of alluded to this before as well, that, you know, Karnaschovas isn't someone that who I don't think we're going to learn a lot from in terms of how he values the pieces on the roster or just his general strategy going forward. I think he's just going to be very reserved and coy about that and, and maybe guarded about that. So I think we're probably going to learn more about how Karnaschovas feels about the roster, his just general strategy of team building, etc., by his actions, less so his words. So to that point, I think, and as I said, you alluded to this before, I think what the Bulls do in free agency, or maybe it may be more importantly, what they don't do will ultimately dictate what their upcoming plans are. And I mean, we're talking about free agency. The Bulls really only mode in terms of, or really they're only a way of adding any free agents in the upcoming free agency period is through the mid-level accept, exception. I mean, that's going to be their priori, primary tool that they have. Yeah. And we'll see how much that will ultimately uh, be graded up, but it's generally going to be about $9 million. And when you go and sign a mid-level exception type player for... Uh, you know, $9 million annually, let's say, you typically do that over a three to four year period. Now, if you're doing something like that, whilst also keeping an eye on 2021 free agency, does that sort of strategy negate itself in the sense that you're adding nine, $10 million of uh, of a player salary to the cap sheet and maybe taking away nine or $10 million from your cap position in 2021. So I guess my, the broader question is before we even get into the names of Derek Jones, Jr., Jake Crowder, KCP, whoever it may be is, do the Bulls even look to use 
their mid-level exception, knowing that in the back of uh, AK's mind, he may be thinking 2021. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, again, I mean, it's always going to depend on the player. It, you know, if you could, I mean, I think the best case scenario is you get maybe someone who could contribute now and is willing to take that one year um, kind of flyer offer. Now, I, I think that's a tough proposition for players in the COVID-19 landscape where, yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. we all assume that the league revenue-wise, I mean, this this next season, the 2021 season, seems like it's going to be a little stilted and and messed up schedule-wise because um, it'll be starting late and who knows if they're going to try to jam um, the season in even slightly condensed fashion um, to try to get the playoffs uh, ending at, you know, roughly the same time. You know, we just don't know what's going to happen there. So it might be tough to get players to sacrifice that long-term security um, this off season. Uh, I think it depends. I think if it's a signing, like, uh, if it's an upside signing, like a Derek Jones Jr. signing, um, I think I might be willing to go to that two or three year mark because as long as you're in the seven to $9 million range, which is towards the North end of that mid-level exception, um, given the, uh, kind of flexibility that the bulls have, um, with some of the guys that, that are going to have partial guarantees in 2021, but won't necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily need to make their full allotment. Um, so I, I just think of, um, like Tomas Sadaransky, um, he's a guy that makes 10 million a year, but his salary for 2021 is only partially, um, guaranteed for $5 million. Thad obviously makes 13, 14, but it's partially guaranteed for six that off season. Um, so if the bulls were in a situation in 2021 where they really were pinching pennies and trying to cobble together enough flexibility to get, um, you know, one marquee guy, if they somehow were able to, um, talk someone into coming aboard, um, if they did have a contingency plan like that, I think there is there are avenues to make up that um, that committed money there. Um, it also depends on you know as you mentioned with valuing the pieces on the roster. We don't really know how this new regime values Lowry Markin, and yet um, with his extension talks looming, um, if he's someone that you know gets traded, or even if he's someone who is let walk, or if he has kind of a so-so season and we're not sure what his value is and he ends up playing on a qualifying offer or doesn't end up getting um, the kind of money that we maybe were expecting him to get last offseason. Um, I, I just think there are a lot of ways that they can maintain that flexibility, even if they do have that seven to nine million dollars um, committed. That's that's not damaging salary. That's not completely hamstringing you um, if you are getting a guy that that contributes um in a way that, you know, is either win now or, or looking to the future. So um, I guess, you know, it, it's a valid point, though. I guess if I was targeting more of a win now guy, I'd probably be trying to get them on a one year deal. Um, if you don't see him as a part of, um, you know, you, you just got to look at the team as, you know, hypothetically, if the Bulls were to be good in two years and then you look at a player that's either already on the roster or a potential signee, um, you look at them and you you'd pretty much just have to ask yourself, if we were to be good next year, do we see this person as being a part of it? Um, and if you don't, then you try to keep it uh, to as short a commitment as possible. And if maybe you do, um, then maybe you're willing to to dip into um, the long-term stores uh, a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it, you know, everything's about value. Um, I think it's, you know, good and a point of optimism that uh, – there are people that understand that making the decisions now and, and, you know, people a little bit um, further into the future of thinking about basketball. Um, So the hope is those calculations are actually, you know, being weighed seriously um, and uh, that the correct decision comes out of it. Uh, But it is an interesting proposition. I I just, again, I I don't think that seven to 9 million is necessarily going to make or break them one way or the other. There are ways to, to finagle their way around it. uh, But it certainly is something to think about. Yeah, I mean, they're all fair and reasonable points too. And obviously, there's just so many variables in this situation, specifically for Chicago, that this whole thing could just break a million different ways, really. So yeah, all fair points. But maybe even before we start thinking about free agency, Derek Jones Jr., whoever it may be, we have to come back to the draft because maybe the draft itself will ultimately determine what the Bulls do or don't do in free agency, who the type of player they may or may not targeting free agency. So maybe we can transition and maybe close on some draft talk. Um, and and I, know, I know note on the Bulls Talk podcast, uh, I think in the last week or so, Tom Haberstroh was on the on the podcast with KC and he was sort of talking about his expectations about the Bulls maybe sort of even trading up in the draft. And if, if you do that, how, what does that permutation mean on the rest of the roster going forward, particularly into free agency? So I, let's talk about the draft because I think that's, again, like I mentioned before, 
we'll probably learn more about what Karnashov is thinking about this specific roster and maybe his just general strategy as he makes these moves. And the first real move that he's going to have in terms of shaping the roster is at the draft, which is uh, essentially three weeks away, three, four weeks away at this point. So we're getting closer to the draft happening. Uh, but coming back to the Bulls Talk Plus uh, podcast, Habistros is sort of suggesting and um, speculating that maybe the, the Karnashovas and the Bulls may look to move up in the draft. I, I, I don't know how I feel about that situation, but I thought I'd throw it to you and get your thoughts on you know, what you expect the Bulls to do in the draft. Do you think they're coming to trade up, trade down? What, what are your general thoughts about the draft? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, uh, that Habistros said that and and like you said speculated um everything that you know guys like him or Casey says is informed speculation um even if it is speculation um so I, I thought it was really interesting that he brought that that point up um I think just listening to the way that he spoke about it and just kind of surveying the situation it seems like it was as much a product as uh or as much a product of Minnesota and Golden State being anxious to uh, maybe see what they could get for their selections as anything. So if you're Karnashovas and you're sitting there and you get a deal that you kind of can't pass up, um, there's no reason, you know, from a value perspective, um, maybe you think about it. If it's me, um, I don't like, and uh, I don't like the idea of going into the draft necessarily with one set strategy. Um, Steph No, who formerly of the Athletic, one of the best Bulls minds out there, wrote a um, wrote a great piece on his Substack, um, kind of about the the idea of being fluid going into the draft and being able to just kind of follow, follow your instincts where the best value is. Um, if you like someone and you get the right deal, move up. Um, if you maybe are a little bit more content to sit back and you get the right deal to move down, move down, but not committing to one, um, you know, uh, avenue on it. Um, I think I align with that thinking and I think I would trust Karnashovas to, um, you know, think that through for himself and, and make the right decision um, a little bit instinctively and a little bit on the fly. Um, my own personal opinion just on this draft is I, I just think the Bulls are in a decent spot in terms of being at number four. Um, there just isn't that kind of sell the farm to get this player guy necessarily. Um, there's a handful. There's probably three or four guys that if the Bulls took it for or if they traded back and they were able to get um, that I think would you know fit well on the team and also have the kind of upside that would merit uh, a best talent available proposition. Um, so I don't necessarily think they're in a bad spot or in a position where they should be desperate enough, um, to part with assets to trade up. Um, because, you know, I think in a, in a weak draft, maybe you could argue that it'll take less to trade up now, um, than in recent years. And obviously the bulls are starting from a position where they're number four. Um, so attaching that pick to something lessens the amount that you're going to have to give up, um, in addition to that. Um, but there's also a level to it where if there's a lot of competition, if there are a lot of teams jockeying to try to take advantage of uh, it being uh, a weaker draft and being easier to move up, if you have a lot of competition in the market, maybe the price starts getting driven up uh, past a point that they're comfortable with. For me, I, I just think they're in a good spot. Um, if it was me, I wouldn't be stressed too much about going in either direction. I'd be pretty happy with where I'm at at four. And if anything, I'd probably be listening more to trading down because I just think – um, you know, between numbers four and 10 of this draft, I think you're still going to be able to find someone that can help you. Um, and if you could pick up another asset or two for the long term, um, all the better. I mean, this team can't um, have enough assets moving forward, especially for um, a new regime that has a pretty good draft reputation. You know, the more bites at the apple that they get, um, you know, the higher likelihood is that they're going to uh, hit on something. Um, so I don't necessarily have a strong opinion one way or the other. I mean, you know, I, I think... I, I am high on a guy, say, LaMelo Ball. I'm, I'm pretty significantly higher on his upside than anyone else in the class. But does that mean that I, if I'm the Bulls, I'm chomping at the bit uh, to part with a member of the core to move up two spots to get him? Uh, not necessarily. I, I just think there's a there's a heavy kind of pro-con calculation that you got to make with all of these prospects in a year where there's upside for everybody, but there also seems to be a fair amount of red flags for everybody. Um, so I would just kind of take it as it comes. Um, but I, all things considered, I don't think the bulls are in a bad spot at four. I think pretty much no matter how the top three shakes out and it does seem like there's a pretty good shot. It just shakes out as in some order, Lamelo, Wiseman and, and Anthony Edwards. Um, I, I think if that's how the top three goes, or even if, uh, a Killian or a Denny sneaks into the top three, I, I think the bulls are going to be in a pretty good position where there's a handful of guys that they could take that I at least would be happy with. Um, but you know, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that too. Cause I, I know everybody kind of falls differently draft season. Everything's very subjective and it's guessworky and it's, um, you know, kind of an interesting time. So I'd be curious where you fall on the trading up back, staying put 
kind of calculation. Yeah, look, I think you've everything you noted there is correct. I I definitely agree with the more you know enter. You should always enter the draft with a an inflexible approach because you just know you don't know how these things will sort of shake out on on the night. So you have to be open to a number of different things. But assuming the most realistic things happen, then to me, trading up in this draft probably doesn't make sense. Assuming that Bulls can even do that at all, because a lot of the conversation about the Warriors or Wolves maybe trading out of the first and second pick is that they're looking to maybe trade that pick assuming that they can get a player that helps them win now which for the Bulls I don't see a lot of win now sort of guys that you would necessarily attach to the number four pick or something like that to move up to to grab the the the, the first or second pick so I, I don't necessarily see the Bulls being a really good trade partner for the Wolves or Warriors, assuming they want to win now type player. That that I just don't see that connection more generally. So to what you noted before, I'm probably more inclined to trade down in this specific draft um, because I think there's not that much variability between sort of players three through maybe seven or eight, something like that. I think it's fairly similarly tiered type players. So I definitely agree with your logic there. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it'll just be interesting to see how it all, how it all shakes out and, I, again, coming back to what I said before, we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about Karnaschovans based on his actions. And I do think for any first-time lead exec to make a bold move to go up and trade for someone like LaMelo Ball, let's say, who who will probably come into the NBA and straight away have two elite skills from a ball handling and passing um, perspective. But beyond that, there are a lot of question marks. So to Immediately. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So to, to stake some of your initial first impressions, let's say, on someone like Lamelo, who if it breaks right, you look like a genius. But there's a, I think there's a fair chance that it doesn't. Um, I think it would be a bold play. I don't know what Karnaschovas' risk risk profile is. So again, it, it's hard to comment on that. But personally, I probably am not trading often trading up in this draft. I'm sitting put at number four or even trading down. But it'll be interesting to see what happens, I suppose, in this specific draft. And I guess what makes me again somewhat nervous based on the chatter that I've seen this week, and for whatever reason. Obi Toppin has been the flavor of the week amongst um, amongst Twitter, amongst writers, amongst just the general discourse around the draft. Um, given that was, I'm, I'm putting this down to people being bored and and then just not don't want to talk about Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman or anyone like that, and maybe just thinking about other names that may be connected in this draft as to who's maybe we should be applicable in this specific draft. You know, in the top four to five range and. To my reservations, let's say, Obi Toppin's name has been sort of talked about a lot this week and maybe looping it back to where we started this conversation and bringing my my old friend Fred back into the conversation who is maybe the biggest Obi Toppin fan out there. Uh, This whole conversation about Toppin going in that sort of top four, top five, top six range is concerning to me. Even if the Bulls don't necessarily take Toppin, maybe it just changes the draft night uh, and how things play out. But I don't know. I just thought we could close on just getting your general feeling about Obi Toppin and just the discourse around Toppin over the last week, which has sort of picked up momentum over the last week. Again, you never know what any of this sort of chatter that comes out at this time of year, if it means anything or if it's just scuttlebutt, but uh, there's been connections of Toppin going to the Wolves or the Warriors or even you know somewhere inside that top four or five range. But what are your general thoughts about Obi Toppin more, more holistically, but maybe more specifically on the Chicago Bulls? Please, no. <laughs> that's that's my opinion on Obi Toppin for the Bulls specifically. And I love Obi Toppin. I mean, it, there wasn't a more fun player to watch in college basketball last year. You know, if you sweep every player of the year award um, in the NCAA, like that means something. Um, there's a lot to like about him. I just, I, I couldn't be more out on him from the Bulls perspective. Um, Ricky O'Donnell tweeted this out the other day. I had this in a, in a mock draft, just a nugget in it from a couple months ago. He's one day younger than Jason Tatum. On draft, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and you combine that with, um, you know, for someone who is such a lauded athlete, uh, I think he's kind of a stiff defensively from what I've seen of him. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really see that changing necessarily. Um, you know, obviously he's a, a tremendous athlete. Uh, a lot of the finishing concerns that I that I have with the Bulls, um, and that I think they need to address this offseason, he would obviously help with. Um, talk about a front court log jam. I mean, a, a front court of him and Larry Markin defensively is something that I never want to watch in my life. Um, there's just, <laughs> there's, there's just a lot of things about the Obi Toppin fit that I, uh, am not a fan of, um, where I'm at with number four, I, there are really four guys to me. 
Um, and you know, I'm always watching more of everybody every day and, and reading people that are smarter than me and listening to people that are smarter than me and opinions kind of evolve, uh, on prospects, especially in such an uncertain process. I think we're getting combine measurements soon, but really all we've gotten directly is we got, you know, press zoom press conferences with a couple guys and, um, you don't necessarily, you know, get everything that you need, um, from that and then workout footage will leak out and, and things like that. But, but really if I'm the, if I'm the bulls for me at four, if it's Denny, if it's Killian, uh, if it's a Coro, um, or if Ball were to somehow slip, I, those are the four to me that I would be perfectly happy with. I totally see it. Um, anybody else, I, I would raise my eyebrow a little bit um, and probably, you know, higher, up or down, um, depending on who it is. I, I think Obi would be the most horrific outcome for me because I, I just, I, I just don't see it. Uh, I'm not a fan. Fred and I have DM'd about this. Um, I'm just not, I'm not into the idea. It doesn't need to turn into a full Obi top and breakdown, but, um, I, I just don't see the upside for a team like Chicago, uh, with a pick like that. Now I think he should, you know, definitely still be a lottery pick. And I think he could definitely help a team. Um, you know, I I continue to think that he's a pretty good fit, uh, with the Knicks just based on how they want to kind of flip this thing into a win now, or it seems like they do, um, pretty quickly. He's right by CAA. There's a lot of little things there. Um, I'm not sure how, how Tibbs would feel about him, especially on the defensive end. But, you know, if it were to happen, I guess um, we would see. Uh, but, yeah, that that's kind of my my general my general thought there um, on, no, on the fair situation. Enough. <laughs> fair enough. I, I feel very similarly. And, yeah, look, Topper makes sense in New York, particularly next to Mitchell Robinson. I think that would be an interesting front court combination. And, look, I'll, I'll admit that a Top and Wendell Carter combination in the front court would work, but... What does that mean for Larry Markin? And so, again, coming back to what I said before, where we'll learn more about Karnaschovas through his actions, less so his words. If their balls were to take Toppin at four and just feel, uh, just feel that he's the best player available, then what does that signal from a Larry Markin point of view? So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, that would be probably the only intrigue for me about maybe the Bulls trading, oh, sorry, drafting Larry, uh, sorry, Obi Toppin. Like, that would be the only intriguing thing of it. it the rest of it, I completely agree with you. I think it would be an absolute disaster. But uh, yeah, I was a little concerned, I suppose, this week, how much steam and momentum was being picked up on the uh, the Obi Toppin bandwagon. But like I said, this time of the year, is we shouldn't be putting too much into any sort of stock, into into rumors or speculative conversations that just appear out of nowhere, I suppose, yeah. given that we've just had so long to mull over the draft, specifically for the Bulls. I mean, we've been talking about the draft since March, so I'm pretty over it at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the draft to roll around, but we shall see what they uh, what they do come November 18. But Rob, look, I've kept you long enough, mate. I really do appreciate you making your Bulls HQ debut. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Obviously, keep doing what you're doing on NBC Sports Chicago. I think you've been a welcome addition to the Bulls beat. But before you get away, mate, in the odd chance that people aren't following you online or don't necessarily know where to grab your work, just fill them in on, on how they can follow your stuff. Yeah, um, at Rob Shave or at Rob underscore Shave on Twitter. I can't even remember my Twitter handle. Uh, that's that's where I'm <laughs> at on Twitter, uh, NBCSportsChicago.com. Um, my work, my colleague Casey Johnson, you know, we're churning as, as much as we possibly can and um, having as much fun as it, with it as we can uh, as we approach the draft. So that's a place to find um, the written stuff. And then uh, the Bulls Talk podcast, we've got uh, new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Um, you know, a lot of good guests in the past and, and coming up in the future. And um, when we don't have guests, it's kind of just me, Jason Goff, Casey and um, Tony Gill shooting the shit, uh, which is always a lot of fun, too. Um, so that's where you can find me. Um, if Obi Toppin happens to be listening to this, if he gets drafted by the Bulls in a month uh, and he goes back <laughs> and finds this recording, I'm probably in a little bit of trouble. Um, but uh, I, I will put the, I will put uh, my full take there on, on paper at some point, too. So um, I, I will plant my flag there. And um, yeah, it, it was it was nice. I hope I get a message from Fred if he if he does listen to this, because we we spent I think it says 54 minutes there. I think we must have spent at least six to seven minutes talking about him. So. <laughs> yeah, look, I can't guarantee you that Fred is listening to this, and uh, I probably can guarantee you that I'll be Obi Toppin most certainly isn't listening to this. So <laughs> I'm assuming you're okay there, Rob. But uh, yeah, look, nonetheless, it's been a fun conversation. So uh, yeah, thanks again for uh, for jumping on. Good stuff, man. Good to talk to you. So thanks again to Rob for jumping on Bulls HQ. Hopefully you enjoyed this one, Bulls fans. We'll be back probably again next week talking more about the draft. We'll be wrapping up the draft coverage as we sort of head into the last couple of weeks of. The, uh, the draft period, I suppose, as we head into November 18th. So thanks again for Rob for coming on this episode. Bulls fans, if you, uh, whilst you're following Rob online, if you're not 
by any chance following me on as well you can jump on twitter at mk hoops uh follow the podcast too as uh, on twitter as well at bulls hq pod if you want to send me an email you can do so at bulls hq at gmail.com if you want to be part of the bulls hq discord forum just send me an email i will i'll drop you a link to be part of the discord forum get up in there chat with over 100 bulls fans about all things bulls but that just about does it for this episode of the podcast again thanks to rob thank you to the listeners of this show and like i said we'll be back again next week but until then this has been bulls hq speak then bulls fans Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.